Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Hey, y'all, and welcome into another Wednesday night edition of Inside Black and Gold. I'm going to have to come up with a fancy name for these because, as you can see, it's it's after dark. It's kind of spooky. We're past Halloween, so it's not a Halloween episode, but we are going to get into it. This episode, these Wednesday episodes, typically I'll break down the injury report, any news and notes that have happened from throughout the week. And then, you know, maybe some other topics. Today, I want to get into Rashid Shahid. I talked to Derek Carr today about, you know, what makes Rashid Shahid kind of different in the sense of like his speed ain't normal, right? Like he, there's a lot of fast guys in the NFL, but there are differences in terms of, you know, when you look at a guy who can just run fast versus a guy who can play football fast. So we're going to hear from Derek Carr on that. Also got sound from Michael Thomas. Want to get into the trade deadline. We heard from Mickey Loomis yesterday. So I want to 
listen to what he had to say on why the Saints didn't make any moves, that sort of thing. And then we'll get into a mailbag in the final segment. So first things first, let's just go through it. Week nine, Saints, Bears, you're going to be looking at Tyson Bajent, not Bajent. It is Bajent. So I don't know if you're one of the people that likes to pronounce names correctly. There you go. You know, it's it's a game the Saints should win. You know, there's a lot of upheaval going on in the NFL right now. The Raiders fired their head coach, their general manager. You got Antonio Pierce and and uh, Champ, somebody. I forgot his last name. Uh, you, you're looking at all of these teams kind of deciding in real time that they ain't it. Now, the Saints clearly don't think that way. They think that this team can go win the NFC South this season. I don't know how deep you can consider that run to be, but clearly not enough to go all in on the trade deadline. Either way, week nine is a game that the Saints should feel like they should win. Heck, week nine, week 10, Vikings, you're looking at Josh Dobbs. That's the quarterback they went and traded for. So week 10, you feel like you should win. You go to a bye week 12, the Falcons benched Desmond Ritter for Taylor Heineke, something that I am not particularly surprised by. I'm only surprised that it took this long. I thought that Taylor Heineke might win that job out of camp because, I don't know, he's just a better quarterback at this stage and probably in general, you know, Desmond Ritter. I think he's the type of guy who, if he had a couple years to sit behind a entrenched starter and learn and get better, maybe he has a chance. He's not a guy you start as a rookie and expect good things out of. Anyway, let's move on to the injury report for the Saints. We'll get back into the trade deadline talk down the line here, but First things first, you know, there's been a lot of talk year in, year out about the Saints and their injury luck and how everything seems to work against them and the medical staff, the training staff isn't getting the job done. Well, I mean, you look through the first week, eight weeks of the season and you're into week nine. This injury report, while it might seem long, when you really sink your teeth into it, it's not significant by any stretch. There's only two players who missed practice today. For the second consecutive week, only one of those was due to injury, and that's linebacker Ty Summers. He left the game against the Colts early with a concussion. He's also dealing with a hamstring issue. He did not practice. He is a depth linebacker special teamer on his best day. So when your only player missing practice is a special teams guy, you're doing pretty well for yourself. The other guy who didn't practice was Lynn Bowden. He is dealing with that virus, that illness, you know, Alvin Kamara has a colorful term for it. We don't need to get into that anymore, but he's not feeling great. He should not be at risk to miss the game. Um, you know, he, he's still a bit player. He's not a, he's not a major player. So even if you do say, okay, well, he's not able to get on the field for practice. He can't go out there and play whatever. It's still Lim Bowden and not someone more significant. No offense to Lim Bowden, but his role is not massive in this, on this team. Everyone else practicing to some capacity. Jimmy Graham, Ryan Ramchek still on the rest schedule. I don't know exactly what Jimmy Graham is resting from. He didn't play on Sunday. So what is he resting from his practice? I, it's a strange thing. Uh, they said he missed the game with the illness. I think he would have been inactive either way. But yeah, Jimmy Graham's still getting his rest days, uh, even though I wouldn't consider what he's doing to be com- very grueling on Sunday. So... Either way, those are the two rest days. So from that, you have one, two, three, four, five more players. Michael Thomas was limited. He is also not dealing with an injury. It was a rest day slash. He still has kind of some lingering effects 
from that illness that he played through on Sunday, miserable as he described it. But, you know, they're just giving him some extra time to kind of recuperate. They dialed it back. He'll be fine. I expect him to be full in practice on Thursday and Friday. He's not going to be at risk to miss the game unless something crazy happens. But it's going to have nothing to do with the reason he was limited in practice on Wednesday. From there, you have James Hurst, Demario Davis. James returned to practice limited with the ankle. So that's a good sign. Demario Davis has was limited all last week with his knee issue. He played. He's limited again. You know, it's just one of those things that you're going to have to manage for DeMario. I thought he was much more dynamic in week eight than he looked in week seven. You didn't see him come off the field the same way that he did in week seven. He played 100% of the snaps. So I think that's just something that you'll continue to work back from. We haven't seen any setbacks. So that's a good thing. Marcus May was a full participant. He's listed on here with the illness. He did not play. In week eight, he was healthy enough to play, but he wasn't able to get on the field for practice. So the team felt more comfortable putting Jordan Howden in. And that's just a good sign. That's a sign that you have quality depth at safety and you're comfortable rolling with the young guy if you need him. Now you're still going to go back to May. May is still going to be the starting safety. But knowing that should one of your safeties go down, you have that kind of premium depth that you can bring in and feel comfortable about. That's a good thing. So no one's going to complain about that. The only other injury on here that is that is really worth talking about, Andres Pete also has an ankle injury that was on last week's injury report as well. Taysom Hill, last week he was listed with a chest issue, played through it, didn't seem to be a problem. Now he's listed with a hip issue. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that it's going to be something that keeps him out, right? But I think you look at Taysom Hill continuing to crop up on injury reports. And when... People ask, well, why don't you get Taysom Hill more involved? Why don't you get Taysom Hill more snaps? Why don't you get him more touches? Well, you see, like, the way he plays, it's not the same. You say one person gets 50 snaps, versus you say Taysom Hill gets 50 snaps, and he got pretty close to 50. I think he ended up with 44. Pretty much every one of Taysom Hill's touches is a violent touch, right? It's not like Chris Olave catching a ball and running, making a beeline out of bounds, right? Every time Taysom Hill touches the ball, he is either hitting somebody or getting hit by somebody, right? Occasionally he'll throw it <laughs> or he'll, you know, it's, it's not something where you can say, yeah, we can get him 60 snaps and he'll be fine. He takes hits. He plays a grueling style of football. So you have to be a little bit more careful with him in terms of how many hits you are allowing him to take. Cause you know, if you put the ball in his hands, he's going to get hit. And so you see, okay, the chest issue, the hip issue, he's had rib issues, right? So, one of the things this team has to be cognizant of is making sure that he can get through a season healthy or at least as close to it as possible and overloading him in any matchup without thinking of, okay, well, how, how is this going to affect him long-term is a mistake, right? So it's just something you have to factor in. I think they've done a good job of kind of balancing that, particularly early in the season. Now, once you get toward the end into some must-win games and some playoff games, throw caution to the wind, go all out, do whatever you got to do. But right now, I think you got to be smart about it. Now, on the Bears' side, a bit unusual because they had a walkthrough on Wednesday. And that's something you would typically see when a team is coming off of a, a Monday night game, for example, where they have a short week, or they're playing on Thursday. And so that Monday practice, heck, all three practices for the Saints were walkthroughs before they played on Thursday night football. The Bears had a Sunday night game. So you're really just talking about a few hours lost. And they all had a walkthrough on Wednesday, which 
you know, kind of strange. I think it's just a sign of it's a weird time in, in Chicago land, right? They did make a trade for a pass rusher. So clearly they're not completely packing it in, uh, even though they're two and six, but kind of strange either way. If they had practiced, they would have had five DMPs, which is guard Nate Davis with an ankle issue. Quarterback Justin Fields with a right thumb issue. We already know he's not going to play. They announced that Tyson Bajant would be the starter. So, you know, he's really not something to watch for the Saints, at least. The Bears will be watching and saying, okay, hopefully he can get back week 10. Hopefully we can get back to our normal offense, but he's going to be out or at least not starting. He might be the emergency quarterback. I don't know what the bears are thinking, but going on cornerback Terrell Smith with an illness safety, Jaquan Brisker with a concussion linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds with a knee issue. And now that's, that's a significant one because he's a very good volume tackling linebacker Um, going on down further offensive lineman Braxton Jones he was limited with a neck issue but he is coming back off IR this is his first practice back from injured reserve so he could potentially be activated for this game that would be uh, a bonus for them then offensive lineman Lucas Patrick and safety Eddie Jackson one uh, Lucas is dealing with a back Eddie Jackson is dealing with a foot issue both were full in practice so you know again there's really no excuses for the Saints right now and so what I said going into week eight and they delivered in week eight. Now you got to keep delivering because this is the time of year where, you know, they talk about it's not about who you play. It's about when you play them. Well, the Saints are A, healthy, and B, getting a run of injury-riddled teams at the most important position on the field. Justin Fields isn't going to play with that dislocated thumb. Next week, you're not going to get Kirk Cousins. He's out for the season with a torn Achilles, right? You obviously just played... Gardner Minshew instead of Anthony Richardson. So this is where the Saints have to take advantage. The funny thing is you look at week 12, both the Saints and the Falcons are four and four. They have two more games and they have a bye and then they face each other. (laughs) Right. And so I'm actually feeling like, man, could you just kept Desmond Ritter for a few more games? Because I think that the Falcons are, a much bigger threat with Tyler Heineke, Taylor Heineke than Desmond Ritter, just because I just, I know that, you know, (laughs) there's this run of quarterbacks. Every time we ask Dennis Allen about a quarterback, he'll say the word moxie. Everyone has moxie. And it just basically means like, you're not that good, but you play hard and you get stuff done. Like no one ever described Tom Brady as having moxie. They just described him as being the best quarterback ever. Right. Same with Drew Brees. No one said, Oh, that guy's got moxie. They said, no, that guy's a baller. Um, <laughs> the Saints are going up against these, the Gardner Minshews of the world, the Taylor Haneke's of the world, the little guys are punching up and you just gotta, you just gotta go beat them, right? There's no excuses. You just gotta go out and win those games. Um, but again, I think the Saints are in good position to do that. They have injuries, but they're managing them. And I think you got to give some credit to the, uh, to the athletic training staff. Um, before we move on, I do want to hear from Mickey Loomis because he was on WWL yesterday and he was asked, you know, why didn't the Saints make any moves at the deadline, all that. And this is, this is what he had to say. A deadline passed uh, earlier. Uh, no moves by the Saints. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm trying to determine what the question would be, but I guess were you guys called? Did you guys get calls? Well, we talked to a couple um, teams about a couple of things, more in the acquisition area as opposed to trading somebody. We, weren't, we didn't really talk about trading anyone. 
um, from our team, but we did talk to a couple teams about an acquisition, but um, I wouldn't say it ever got really serious. So you see kind of two schools of thought during this time, like Washington gets, they, they deal Montez Sweat, who you will face this week, assuming he plays also Chase Young. They get a second rounder in 24 and a third rounder. I mean, I guess teams that are somewhat position heavy and just looking for some draft capital. Yeah, um, I think a lot of it determine, is determined by, you know, how, how you see the, the season playing out. Um, and then you look at, the, you know, your roster and, and the team and the guys that are coming um, coming up as free agents and whether, you know, what's your opportunity to re-sign them. There, there's a lot of factors that go into making a, a decision on, on trading a player. And then on the other side of that, it's, say hey, who can help us now, um, you know, accomplish our short-term goals um, or, you know, in, in some cases, um, you want an opportunity to have a player in your system and, and make a decision on having them for the long term. There, there seems to be, and maybe this is arbitrary, but there seems to be more movement in other leagues around the trade deadline of the NFL. Is that just based on, because in you know trade deadline in the NBA, one one guy and and in the NHL it can make significant impacts, whereas in the NFL it's it seems a little more difficult. I'm just curious. Yeah, but I you know I never really looked at it from the standpoint of us versus another league. I do think this you know when you have a hard cap, that makes things a little more difficult um, to absorb a contract. You know at this time of the year because typically a lot of teams including us are, are, you know, up against the cap. And so you have to maneuver um, in order to add somebody, um, you don't generally don't want to take away um, salary cap from a future year. So it's just a little more difficult logistically. Yeah. And I think that's not particularly a surprise in my opinion, right? Like you're talking about a team that, again, I think I said this in our, you know, NFL trade deadline mailbag a couple of days ago. Like when you're talking about trades at the deadline, there are a few reasons you would do it. In most instances, you look at a team like the Vikings. They went and got Josh Dobbs because they needed a quarterback. Their quarterback went down and they had, to, you know, they kind of had to figure something out. The Cardinals felt like, hey, we can get something for Josh Dobbs, a player that we're not going to have a ton of use for um, beyond this week. And because Kyler Murray's coming back. So, hey, okay, we can get a we can get a sixth rounder. We can upgrade a seventh rounder into a sixth rounder. Let's do it, right? So, you know, you, you look at that. Then you look at teams that are kind of on the wrong side of the of the standings pile. And the, the commanders are in the NFC East, a, a league with two strong teams in it, right? Like they're not, they're, they're kind of in a similar position to a team like the Saints, except the Saints only have to get to nine wins and they probably win their division, right? At nine, with like the, the commanders are basically saying wild card or bust. And when that's the scenario, it's a little tougher to commit to it, right? And you have two pass rushers who garnered interest. You know, the Giants also moved Leonard Floyd. A lot of, a lot of pass rushers, a lot of defensive linemen going out of the NFC East this week. But, you know, you, you look, it's like, okay, so the Bears... They are last in the NFL in sacks, right? So they're like, hey, we can add a pass rusher. He's a good player. He's under contract. Fine, right? The The interesting one was Chase Young. The Saints probably could have found a way to go get Chase Young. But the 49ers, a team that feels like they are well within their title window, they're going for it right now. They have a roster that can win a title. 
And so they are bringing in a player who maybe has some concerns, has some health concerns, he has some work ethic concerns. But one thing that's always been able, in my opinion, from what I've seen, always been able to kind of bypass character concerns is being on a team that can win right now, right? Like when it's a long project, things get a little more complicated. You need more buy-in, right? Well, when it, the, for example, when Antonio Brown went to the Bucks and it was like, oh, we're winning a title this year, you got locked in Antonio Brown. When things were a little more difficult, you got, you know, quitting on the field, literally Antonio Brown, right? Like that wasn't a Super Bowl team. That was just a team that was fighting for the playoffs. And when you're in that scenario and you have to deal with some adversity, it's a little harder to get a job done. So for for the 49ers to go after Chase Young makes a lot of sense, right? They, they're kind of doing what the Rams did. Sands going all in for the quarterback. They have Brock Purdy. They feel good about it. So they know they can spend some money. Chase Young's on a one-year contract, or he's on the final year of his contract, right? He's basically a rental. So the, the 49ers are willing to give up a third-round pick for a guy that, best-case scenario, plays good enough that you can that you will franchise him. And, you know, I guess if he plays well enough and you don't bring him back, they can get a comp pick. But that's a, you know, that's that's not a guarantee, right? If he goes out there and he gets hurt or he plays badly and he doesn't get that deal, you know, maybe he goes and signs like like the, the Mar- not Marcus Davenport with the Vikings, right? You know, that's you're not getting a, a major comp pick for that if you sign anybody. So, you know, I think the Saints did the right thing in not overpaying. Remember, they don't have that third round pick. So you say like, oh, well, why couldn't the Saints match the 49ers offer? They couldn't in terms of they do not have a 2024 third round pick to throw around. They could have traded that second round pick. Maybe say, you know, traded that second and got a third rounder back. But you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, that's a lot to give up for a guy that you don't know and is not exactly a guarantee in terms of showing up and and being fully invested. That's a that's a lot to to go in on. The guy that I kind of had a feeling they were going to try to go find a way to get was Hunter Renfro. Sounds like they did make some calls. Like Mickey said, they made some calls about acquisitions. They did not have any conversations in terms of trading anybody away, at least if you believe what Mickey said. And, and I do. I don't think that they were trying to trade anybody away. The only question I had was whether you field some calls about Jameis, but it does not sound like they did. I think the only team that it would have made sense to come and try to trade for him would have been the Vikings. There were some erroneous reports. Don't believe you know the the random Twitter news bots who well, say like, oh, they're close. And then, oh, Stunner! This didn't happen. It was, you know, they're full of shit, right? <laughs> I think there's somebody, somebody. Uh, I think it was Nick Underhill. They're like, "Hey, Nick, is this legit?" And he's like, "The guy's name is Crack Rock." No, it's not legit. So, like, every year we go through this. I don't think it was the this information was as bad as it could have been considering Twitter is just that's all it is now. But all all being said, I think that the Saints did the right thing and just kind of if you can't get it done with the players inside the building adding a player off the street isn't going to help, right? Like I'd like to see more snaps for Isaiah Foskey. I'd like to see them get a little more creative with the pass rush, maybe find some ways to, to create pressure as opposed to trusting your front four to create pressure, right? Come up with some, some blitz packages, get Zach Vaughn involved in the pass rush, get Demario Davis involved in the pass rush, get your NASCAR package on the field, find ways. You got to stop the run on first down. That's the important thing. And then you can get to the pass rush. So, 
I mean, the, the Saints pass rush numbers are not good. There's no getting around that. That said, I think that they have the players to to get it done there. So I'm okay with them sitting, standing pat. Everyone complains every year, like, oh, it's boring. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. Trades rarely move the needle for teams in the NFL. There's just too many variables. This is not the NBA. This is not Major League Baseball where one player can change an entire game. Um, you know, it, it, it changed the entire season for that matter. It just doesn't work like that in the NFL. So. I thought it was a it was a smart decision to stand pat. And that's where that's where I'll wrap up this segment. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk more about Rashid Shahid. You know, just the impact he is having. You look at some of the numbers uh from last week's game and from the season in general, kind of get into the conversation about, you know, what is different? Why why does his speed hit differently than a lot of other players, a lot of other fast guys? in the NFL. So we'll get to talking about that. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Hit me up on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. If you haven't subscribed yet, you know, why don't you go do that? You're here. What else are you doing? Again, Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. Steve Geller is currently hosting a show. So he is he is indisposed, but he'll be back in action with us later in the week. Either way, stick around. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. We're breaking down what's the latest with the Saints this week. We got into the injury report this segment. I want to talk more about Mr. Rashid Shahid, the guy whose name just sounds fast and the guy who just is very, very fast, you know, I think we all kind of saw him last year kind of explode on the scene. You're like, whoa, you know, like that's not, that's not the same. That's not what we are used to seeing from the Saints offense. I think part of it was you watched the entire 2021 season and you were like, man, what would I give for a receiver that could run past somebody that could create any separation? I don't care if it's deep. I don't care if it's short. There's just nothing, you know, every now and then Deontay Hardy would get, get loose and you'd be like, ah, there's a play. There's a big play. You know, he had a couple long receptions and Jameis throws a really good deep ball was able to find him. But you know, you could, you always looked at him and said like, yeah, he's, he's very good, but he's limited, right? He's limited by his size. He's limited. You know, he's limited by the fact that he's more quick than fast. Like Deontay Hardy is very fast, but it's more quick twitch, you know, short area quickness type speed. His top end speed while good is not elite. Let's put it that way. He's also a guy who, you know, he's got little legs. He's, you know, he's got, he's got, got to churn him. You know, it's not, he's not as smooth down the field as you want to be with a deep ball receiver. 
And I think that always kind of limited him. He was a, he, I would say he's a better returner than Rashid is. But he wasn't the prototypical deep threat you'd want in an offense. And, you know, in terms of size and kind of build, neither is Tyree Kill, but he's just that elite in terms of speed that he makes up for that. And, you know, it's you, you kind of kept have been waiting for years for the Saints to have that guy. You had, kind of had, you know, the, the three years too late version of that guy in Ted Ginn, right? Like he was that kind of just, just long speed guy that you were, occasionally would hit. Right, like, uh, Teddy Bridgewater found him against the Bucks uh, in 2019 on a play that was like, "Oh yeah, that's Ted Ginn. That's that. That's that really fast dude." But you know, it's probably been since like a, you know, Brandon Cooks was fast, but he was. I don't know. I wouldn't consider him to be. He, you know, he's more of a he's more of a catch and run type guy. Devery Henderson might be the the most recent example of a guy who could just get it done down the field, right? And so it's just first of all, when you talk about Rashid, just cool to see that. Right to see a young guy they found at a Weber State. No one really knew about him. He was a UDFA. Probably would have been drafted had he not torn his ACL at the end of his college career. But even then, you're talking sixth, seventh rounder, flyer type guy. Maybe gets cut in camp. The Saints just they scouted him. They found him. They liked him. They brought him in. They kind of hit him throughout camp. Thankfully, because they were able to stash him on the practice squad, bring him up week six of last season. And we kind of all saw how that went with the 40 yard end around for a touchdown against the Bengals next week. Cardinals, the long touchdown, his first two touches in the NFL were long, were long touchdowns. And we've only seen him continue that. And, you know, you, you look at some of the numbers, right? He's got, I think three fifty plus yard catches, which is tied for first in the NFL with Tyreek Hill was the ultimate deep threat guy. Uh, Seven 40-plus-yard catches. Tyreek Hill is first with eight. Rashid is second with seven. The Saints are actually tied with the Dolphins for the most 40-plus-yard pass plays in the NFL this year at eight. So Rashid has seven of them. I mean, Tyreek has all eight of the Dolphins, right? So it's not unusual for one guy to kind of be that downfield deep threat for an explosive offense. I would like to see Rashid get a little bit more involved underneath. I think that's the major difference right now in terms of, you know, Tyreek is that deep threat. He's always a big play waiting to happen, but he's constantly getting worked in in other ways. And right now it feels like Rashid is kind of a one-trick pony in that respect, at least in terms of how he's being involved in the offense. Not necessarily what he can do, but how he's being involved right now. And you know what? If he's averaging 20.3 yards per catch, fine. You know, as long as he's getting involved in that way, you can't have games where you just don't go at them, where you don't give them chances. And I think there were a couple in there in the, you know, I think the, the, not the Packers game, but the Bucks game. I don't think you really saw him get involved down the field um, against the Jags. I don't really think you saw him get involved down the field and you just can't like, even when teams are trying to take it away, you still got to find ways to give him a chance. Um, he had a 93.4 grade from pro football focus. That was the highest grade in the league this week handed out by pro football focus. He is the third saints wide receiver ever to have 150 plus yards on three catches. Been playing football for a while here, guys. ESPN stats and info uh, says he has been, he's tied for the most 35 plus yard catches in a game since 2006. And that's, you know, only because ESPN started tracking that data in 2006. So, you know, you could go back further. It's not like the league got more pass happy 
the you know the further you go back i would be very surprised maybe a randy moss did it but other than that i mean you're you're looking at this is as elite of production as you can find and it's kind of what i'm trying to trying to get to here the other thing that i think you know has stood out to me and i wanted to ask derek about it today because it, it i think it is very noticeable when you watch rashid play is it's not only the speed. It, like There are a lot of fast guys in the NFL. You could go find any Olympic sprinter and say, okay, run a go route right now, and I bet he can run past somebody. But it's there's more to it than that. It's And, and, I'll, and I'll get to what Derek said here in a second. But it's, it's a, not about how fast you can go. It's how fast you can go while also doing complex things on a field. Right? It's... You know, that's why everyone gets worked about 40 times. I'm like, yeah, okay, when when you're running a 40-yard sprint in the game, he's going to be the best. But can he also run that speed and get his head around and locate a football and, and haul it in or adjust to where the ball is or adjust his route to, to, to ward off a defender while tracking the ball and going that fast? Can he do that? On a double move, can he, you know, there's a lot of different things that you have to be able to do in an NFL football game and you have to be able to do them fast. The question is how fast? Um, and I think that's what sets Rashid apart. And so here's what, uh, here's what Derek had to say, you know, about Rashid when he was asked today. Post that I threw him when I threw it, I was like, oh shoot, I overthrew it. <laughs> and then it just hit him in stride. And I was like, everyone's like, great throw. And I was like, yeah, all right. Yeah. 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 He, he went and got that one. And so, you know, for me, you know, I've had, you know, guys like Henry Ruggs, Zay Jones. I'm going to stop naming guys because some of my fast friends I think I'm not talking about them. But, you know, I've had guys where, you know, there is a different level of umph you can put on a football and trust that they can get there. And he's one of those guys where you can let one rip and you can pretty much trust every time he's going to be there. Obviously, a lot of fast guys in the NFL talking before about how fast can you do complex things and Ooh. how fast can you run a straight line, yeah. right? And is that something that kind of helps him stand apart, just play speed as opposed to, you know, just straight line speed? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of guys that are really fast, but when the ball's in there, they can't really adjust to it. And so they could be on that track. I've thrown to some guys that if they're on that track, if you throw it just inside, uh, well, it's going to be incomplete. Or you throw it just over the top, it's in, he's a guy that can run that fast and still find the ball and go get to it. So the, you know, the elusiveness and the flexibility he has in his hips and the way he can move and track the ball and judge it and still make those catches, I think is what's really impressive about him. You know, the one Taysom threw him, uh, you know, the, the ability to be running that fast, stop, come back, make a play on that ball. That's it's really difficult, you know, to do it. You know, the way he made that play just shows you that he's not just a one line guy that he can. He's a good receiver. He can move and make those kind of plays. And yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of what you're getting to there is. You know, here's a stat. So ESPN flashed up a stat that Rashid Sheed averages 16 miles per hour on his routes. Averages. I mean, I don't, I, I couldn't even touch, I don't know, 12 miles an hour, right? Like if I was sprinting as fast as I possibly could, like I don't, very few people can even go that fast physically. Um, You know, and and he's doing it just, kind of his casual route running. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that you you have to adjust to a guy is, yeah, you, you got to get used to that pace, right? Like he's getting in and out of his breaks fast, right? He's getting to his spots fast. So the quarterback has to adjust. And I think that's part of what limits you early in the year when you're trying to figure out how to, how to do that. But 
you know, you can always rely on, okay, like, like it says here on this, on this graphic it's, and Derek Carr actually had a pretty, really funny Instagram post where he said Rashid down there somewhere. And he is like, that's kind of how you operate with Rashid is you, it's like, okay, you see them in a coverage that you can beat and you just put it out there in a place where he, either he gets it or nobody gets it. You know, one thing that Michael Thomas was talking to us about, I think I alluded to this on the last episode, Gus Bradley was the former defensive coordinator for the Raiders. And so Derek Carr knew Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator, and he knew some of the techniques that he coached. He called it top shoulder. So basically you have the the defender is saying no go ball. So if you're going for an outside release, he is just jamming you and keeping you inside and slowing you down. Like that is the only route that he's trying to stop. And so, okay, how do you, how do you affect that? Well, you know, very rarely do you see a receiver taking an inside release for a go ball because they call it the red line, the line you have to be on on the outside where the ball is going to be like the quarterback is throwing it to a spot and you have to be on that line by the time the ball gets there. Otherwise, it's on the receiver and not the quarterback. Now, sometimes the quarterback will miss, but in most cases, that's where the ball is going to land and you've got to make sure you're there. So the inside release, it's just the longer route. you got to use even more speed to get up there. And that's the type of speed that that Rashid has. Now, he was also going against Tony Brown, a guy who should have been playing special teams. And, you know, the, the, the Colts are out there trying people out, right? Like, uh, Rashid basically retired this man from active duty. And, you know, that's, that's just the kind of thing that you see from him that is not that is not normal. And that adds a layer, a dynamic layer to this offense that I don't think you've seen in in a long time. You know, like even as good as Breeze was, the last four or five years of Breeze, you got kind of noodle arm Breeze. You didn't get flea flicker, 60-yard bomb Breeze. And he never had a cannon for an arm, but he had a good enough arm that he could make people sweat down the field. The last 2016 on, I don't think you necessarily saw that. And it was more dink and dunk. It was accuracy. It was timing. It was get the ball to Alvin and let him work. For perspective, Derek Carr... Three consecutive 300-yard passing games. That doesn't sound crazy, right? It has not happened for the Saints. The Saints have not had three consecutive 300-yard passing games from a quarterback since the final four games of the 2015 season. Drew Brees had 300 yards passing in four consecutive games to close out the year. Has not happened since then. That's a long time playing football when you think about it. And you think of how dynamic this offense was in 2016, 2017, even 2018, 2019, 2020, even when Breeze probably wasn't at his most dynamic as a passer. They were still putting up yardage. Has not happened since then. So I think that just kind of puts into perspective just like you look at this offense and you're like, okay, where is it? What has it struggled in doing? And how can it get better? Well, when your baseline is 300 yards passing and you know, obviously, Derek had to throw 50 times in two of those games to get to 300 yards passing. That's not ideal. He only had to throw 27 times, or I think he threw 27 times, maybe 29 times in his last game. I'd have to go back and check. And so, like, the efficiency you can create when you can pick up chunks like the Saints did in this past game, it, it changes things. And, you know, I did want to hear from Mike Thomas. We talked to Mike Thomas in the locker room after the game, and he was asked about Rashid as well, so I did want to hear that. Oh, man. I feel like on the one he made, that big one from Taysom, he wasn't even really running because sometimes it's like he's so fast that he, he, like, when he get next to guys, he already have them beat that it's like he can't even, like, he can outrun. He could have ran. He gonna outrun anyone, so it's just like, you know, uh, sometimes he can outrun the quarterback arm 
come out fast he is. Like so, and but the other thing he does tremendous. I've seen him do it week in and week out. Is those contested big boy catches, man. That's really impressive to see from a guy like that. You know that considered a speed guy because you know they try to label speed guys you know as one dimensional and stuff like that. But to see him make those plays, that's very impressive, and that's what you need. That's the sense of urgency you need. That's how you always have to go back and attack the ball regardless because we plan for one another and um, that just adds a spark to offense. You never know. You know, if you get if you go up there and attack, you, you, you might come down with it. I mean, your mindset has always come down with it, but, like, just to see them have that confidence to still go up there and not just try to bat it down or whatever, you know, just cut it off or whatever, that was, a, that was an incredible play. That was a big play. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't express enough how much easier offense gets when the defense is afraid that you're going to beat them over the top at any point, right? Like, like a lot of defenses in today's NFL and the modern NFL, that's what they're trying to do is, is put a shell at the top of the defense and force you to work underneath. Rashid's beaten that anyway. Like anytime they're throwing quarters at him, Derek's saying, go run and I'm going to get it to you. And, you know, three out of four wins this year have been closed out by a Rashid Shahid deep ball. So any instance where the defense tries to get aggressive, right? So, Think of it this way. You can beat them with Taysom, right? Like, so if they're playing that shell coverage and they want to play two over the top and you're like, fine, we're just going to pound it down your throat and you can do that. So what do you adjust? How do you adjust? You bring another safety down into the box. You say, okay, we're going to come up and stop this. You get single high and you can go beat them deep, right? Like this Saints offense, one of the reasons that the first eight weeks of the season, seven weeks of the season, were so frustrating is because you have all of the pieces that you need to make life hell on a defense. You have an effective between the tackles runner in Jamal Williams. You have one of the elite pass catching backs in the NFL and a guy who can do basically anything you need him to do in Alvin Kamara. You have an elite possession receiver, a first down guy, a chain mover in Michael Thomas. You have kind of that intermediate you know, jackhammer, if you will, you know, kind of the knife that can make people just dizzy in the secondary in Chris Olave when he's not in his own head, which hopefully he can find a way to get out of because he just can get open. He That's just, you know, you talk about the skill set involved with a lot of these receivers and Chris Olave can get open. He just has that ability. Whereas Mike Thomas, he doesn't need to get open because he can battle for the ball. Chris just, you know, when he catches the ball, he's usually... You know, no one's within five yards of him, right? You have that kind of seam-splitting tight end in Jawan Johnson. You have kind of the more traditional tight end in Foster Morrow. Obviously, Taysom Hill, you can do whatever you want. with. Then Rashid Shahid adds that element of the deep ball that you've been able to get, and Derek Carr has shown, uh, you know, the ability to get it to him. So, like, watching this offense not be able to get it done, knowing that, like, when you, like, every year you hear Tim say, we have so much talent on this team and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times you're like, do you though? Because I look around the league and I see all of these teams with all of these weapons and like, like 2021, for example, when you were looking at Marquez Callaway, Traquan Smith, Deontay Hardy is, you know, these are your receivers and you hear uh, Chuck Payton say, Oh, I like my wide receiver room. Sometimes you're just full of shit. No offense to those guys, but there's not a wide receiver two among them. You had three wide receiver threes this year. You're talking about, you have three wide receiver ones. You know, and and there's no excuse. And and to be fair, they have put up the yards and the and the offense is coming along. And so hopefully week eight is just a sign of things to come. Um and, and you can keep going because I for one, when this team is playing well, when the offense is moving, it is so much fun to watch. But 
you know, when when it just doesn't make sense and you're not doing the things that make sense, it's brutal. The offensive line we haven't really talked about has gotten better. I think Andres Pete, you've kind of found something in left tackle Andres Pete. I didn't expect to say that to start the season, but but I am happy about it. But all right, let's wrap up that segment, the, the Rashid Shahid love fest and and move on to the mailbag again i'm jeff nowak this is inside black and gold if you haven't got a question in there yet make sure to do that we'll get to as many as possible in the final segment here ask you know tell me what your cat's name is what you know i have a dog who's currently in a cone she's not having a great day so if you want to just say uh feel better bailey that that's fine but throw your comments in there and we'll we'll get to as many as possible thanks everyone for listening always enjoy doing these we will be right back stick around and we're back on inside black and gold i am jeff noah we're getting into a quick viewer mailbag first question that we are going to talk about is one that no it is not a good thing so saint john butler here says i'd tune in to the shahid versus Nowak race it wouldn't be he could give me if you're running 100 meters he could give me a 60 meter head start he'd probably win not a fast man you know the the longer you the, the longer the distance you know i used to run 800 meters in high school that's that's more of my my race right you know i could get a I think I got a, I got a 150 in there once, but you know, that's just, that was a different, that was a different version of me. Um, they had me run the mile. I didn't like that. Not very, just too long. It was a, a very, very, very uh, minimal, minimal range of, of running for me, but no, that's a, that's not a race you're going to want to watch. It's not a race that's going to happen. Now I would love to see a Shahid race against a lot of people, right? You know, if you want to put a cheetah in there, that would be fun. Uh, you know, the, the guy, the guy who calls himself Cheetah and Tyreek Hill, you know, I don't think Rashid is as fast as Tyreek Hill, generally speaking, like just the, the quick twitch, just straight line speed. I think Tyreek Hill is an alien, but play speed, I think they're pretty close, right? And that's what we were talking about is, you know, the speed at which you can play football, right? The speed at which you can run and also look back, you know, when you, when you watch those Rashid Shahid and I know we just talked about Rashid Jaheed for 20 minutes, but when you watch those Rashid Jaheed highlights, don't just watch it like, don't, don't just look at him catching the ball. Look at the speed at which he is running as he navigates, as he look back, looks back and locates the ball. Because he's not losing any speed, even as he turns his head around and goes up and catches it smoothly and continues running. The most amazing thing that happened in that game was that Rashid caught that go ball in stride and didn't score. Like, I'm amazed that Tony Brown was able to make up that gap. Um, and I think it's just because, you know, he didn't expect anyone to catch him. But, you know, this isn't really what the question's about. But, man, I just enjoy watching that guy run. All right. Here's here's one that I don't think is so Pammy Whammy. Thanks for thanks for being here as always. Says, I think something was more serious going on with Jimmy from that seizure. And I disagree. I don't think it has anything to do with the seizure, why he's not involved. I just don't just, I just think that he doesn't, I mean, his role in the office doesn't exist. Like if you, if you're saying that from a medical perspective and you're saying like, there's a medical reason they're not throwing in the ball. It's not that he's on the field. Like he's playing. I mean, he didn't play this past week, 
Um, but you know, he's been getting reps. He just has not been getting targets or he's not been used when it necessarily makes sense for the saints to use him. Sorry, I'm distracted. There's a, there's a dog in a cone trying to open the door and it's, it's kind of funny anyway. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't think there's a medical reason that you, that Jimmy Graham is not involved. And, and, and if it was a, if it was kind of a judicial reason, like if you're, if you, if, if you're saying that there's something beyond the play on the field that's making the Saints not want to involve him. That doesn't make sense either because you could just cut him. You don't need Jimmy Graham. You're not, you know, he doesn't need you. If you're not going to use him, then don't use him. Like just just say, you know, we're going to retire your number or, you know, we're going to put you, you know, come out and do the who dat and then we'll put you in the team hall of fame. Like I just think that they just don't have a role for him. And, you know, it's strange. Because the one time, like one of the two times you threw to him, he scored a touchdown. Uh, I just think it's it's just, yeah. I mean, they brought him in, and I don't think they had a clear plan on what they were going to do with him, and this, that that has continued to be the case. Uh, Jay Black, so so this is a question. It's not really a question, but we're going back to kind of the, the trade deadline thing. And so I said that trades typically aren't going to move the needle for you in terms of, you know, really changing where you are uh, as far as you're a playoff contender, you're still a playoff contender. You're a you're a you're a fringe playoff team. You're still going to be a fringe playoff team. And so Jay Black is saying it kind of did for the Rams' offense with OBJ. And I, I don't know about that. I mean, that was already a really good offense, right? And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like when you're in a team that feels like you're a title contender and you want to add another weapon, sure, right? You want to add a Chase Young to a San Francisco defensive line that. You know, fine, just throw another weapon on and see what happens, right? You want to add an Odell Beckham Jr. to a Rams offense that, you know, Stafford and Cooper Cup are about to set records. Great, do that. You know, and I think, yeah, they, they did get marginally better and that's an upgrade for them, but they were still a Super Bowl contender with or without Odell Beckham Jr., right? So I, I don't, I mean, yeah, like it, it can help you, but I don't think that if, I, I don't think that that necessarily is a good example of like, oh, the Saints should have done something because when the Rams went and got Odell Beckham Jr., they got better. I don't know. Like, the again, you're you're looking at it and saying, where's the upgrade? Like, what? where's the injury that you're replacing? Where's the player that you're going to take off the field to put this new guy on the field? And I just don't see it. Again, like, like a guy like Connor Renfro would have made sense. And it sounds like the Saints did have some calls to consider going to get him, but the, the price wasn't right. And, you know, you move on. I don't know. I, I, I just don't see the, the NFL trade deadline being the key for teams to improve, right? Like if you're not good enough before the deadline, you're not going to be good enough after the deadline, no matter who you add. Change John Butler again says, wait, at Crack Rock isn't a legit news source? Hey, yeah, crazy. Crazy how that works. I always get a kick out of it. There's all these all these Twitter accounts that, you know, they they kind of like make themselves look mildly official. Like they have like a thousand followers and they have a check mark because that makes sense. Uh, and then they tweet these things and and it's all just for for show to see how many people they can they can dupe. And then it's like I get tagged and I'm like, whoa, is this real? No, it's not real. Yeah, it's it's a weird time to cover sports guys. Jay Black, another one here says, do you think Chris Olave is jealous? Of Rashid, and I so so I I ask why you would say that because 
If anyone's jealous, it should be Rashid because Chris Olave gets all the targets, <laughs> right? Now, I could see if suddenly Chris Olave was getting three targets or five targets and, and Rashid Shahid was getting nine or ten, then maybe we could have a conversation. But I don't think, I don't think Chris Olave is jealous of Rashid. I think Chris Olave is just upset at himself. You know, like people, that's the thing, like people talking about attitude and stuff like that. I, when when he's, when his body language isn't good, when he, when he's not, you know, living up to what you would hope he would be, it's not, a, it's not a matter of Chris Olave being, you know, like a petulant child and, and saying it's all about me and blah, blah, blah. And, and you all need to play better because I'm playing good enough. He knows he's not playing good enough, and that's the frustration for him, right? Like, he's embarrassed for himself. Like, like he's not mad at anybody else for the ball bouncing off his helmet. He's mad at himself, right? And, uh, you know, I think he had a very trying week, right? This season, it's one of those seasons where everything seems to be going wrong. He's in a funk right now. And I think he just needs, he needs one game. He needs one game where everything goes right and you have that kind of performance and suddenly it clicks again. It's like a, it's like a, a shooter, like a, like a three point shooter that's just missing and missing and missing. And sometimes you just need to make a free throw, right? Sometimes you just need one thing to go right for you. And then everything starts to kind of get back into, get back into form. But like, there was just so many, just, just bonehead thing after bonehead thing after bonehead thing it's, you know, I think it's just a confidence thing. And, and once you get him playing confident again, you're going to see like elite Chris Olave again. But right now you're not getting it. But I don't think it has anything to do with him being jealous of anything. St. John Butler, snap it, count to three, throw it as far as you can. That's kind of what Derek said. Like, it's like, you know, the only thing you can do wrong is not throw it far enough. <laughs> and and it, it is funny because like if you, if you didn't know any better, you would be like, wow, Derek, what a dime. And it's like, I think, you know, when you're a guy that is as fast as Rashid, that catch window where you can put the ball in a certain location, it's so big because <laughs> he can make it look so small. Like you go and watch the Raiders on on Monday and Jimmy Garoppolo had virtually the exact same throw to Devontae Adams. Um, you know, it, I, pretty much the same spot on the field, pretty much the same distance. He airmailed it, right? Devontae couldn't get to it. And there was another throw that was similar where he just threw it out of bounds. And, you know, you, you take for granted, that's basically what I tweeted, you take for granted how accurate those throws are and the, the ease with which you completed them. And then you forget, like, that's a much more difficult play to execute than it than it looks when it works right. You know, when it, when it works and it's caught in stride and you, you're going downfield, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, they should do that every time. <laughs> and then you see it. You know, I had someone say like, oh, every 90% of NFL quarterbacks should be able to make that throw. And, and yeah, I agree with the fact that 90% should. But if you think 90% of NFL quarterbacks are hitting that throw more than three out of 10 times, you're kidding yourself. That's a difficult throw for a reason. It's a low percentage throw for a reason. And it's like, yeah, sure, in practice, yeah, I'd like to see them connect on that eight times out of 10. In a game with the pressure, there's a reason. Like, again, I'll go back to the basketball analogy. If you go and watch these guys shoot free throws in practice, they're going to hit 90, 95%. Even the bad free throw shooters are going to shoot 85, 90% when there's no pressure, when there's no screaming fans, when you're not tired, when you haven't played three and a half quarters of a football game. You add all that in and suddenly this 80% free throw shooter is like bricking them, right? Drew Holiday was always bricking free throws. And I was like, you're a great shooter. What is wrong with you? And and the same is true in, in football, right? That's just a that's just a difficult shot at a big moment that you have to be perfect. And the Saints were. And so, you know, there's always somebody 
on in social media who's going to try to convince you that the impressive thing that you just watched is actually not impressive or or that professional athletes are are secretly bad and you just haven't noticed and you know sometimes you just have to block them it's my uh negative advice for, the, for today my pearl of wisdom if you will ww says have yet to see consistency on offense therefore the jury is still out and yeah i, I mean i would say that you've seen Six straight quarters of very good offensive football. You've seen the Saints be able to move the ball consistently. So so you at least have that. Where you haven't seen consistency is between between the tackle or between in the red zone. I'm sorry, this dog with the cone. I need to I need you to see. Okay. There's a, there's a dog with the cone. <laughs> it's very, very loud and 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 distracting. Um she got spayed today, so she wanted to say hi. Uh, okay, Bailey, get down, get down. Okay. Anyway, I, I lost my train of thought, but I need I, you should be able to understand why that was hard to keep track of. Anyway, let's let's continue. Jay Black says, "Do you think we will have running back issues next season? Because I think it's time to take the leash off Kendra Miller. I don't know, but I'm not going to worry about that until until you know that's a bridge I will cross when I have to cross it." Right, because right now, again, I think you just have elite depth at running back, and you know, Kendra, you know, go go look at go look at Deuce McAllister's touches his rookie season. Seriously, go go look it up because you know you're not guaranteed touches as a rookie. And frankly, I'm okay with it. Right, I want you to be elite when you get on the field, and otherwise, just keep working, keep getting better. And so, yeah, I'd like to see Kendra be more involved next year but right now i'm perfectly satisfied with alvin and jamal kind of having this duo and then kendra working in as as it makes sense i'm not going to lose sleep over well what happens next year let's figure out this year and then next year you can get it done because i don't know you'll find a way you know no one's having too many good too much of a good thing is is not a bad thing is uh it's kind of kind of how how i'm going to phrase that i think that is pretty much it. One more thing I do want to bring attention to that that I that I saw this week that I think is interesting is Derek Carr has been what I would consider to be elite in terms of involving all of his weapons. And when I say that, I mean, you know, we've talked about how many weapons you have on this football team. How do you get all of them involved on a weekly basis? And Frankly, you've you've done that, right? You've done that about as well as you could hope. So you look at Chris Olave, 44 catches, 517 yards and a touchdown. Rashid Shahid, 23 catches, 479 yards, three touchdowns. Michael Thomas, 38 catches, 439 yards and a touchdown. Alvin Kamara, 39 catches, 228 yards and a touchdown. He's also on that kind of golden 81 catch pace that you haven't seen the last few years. And to me, that is huge. But... You know, so so I asked Derek Carr today about kind of spreading the ball around. You know, obviously you want Juwan more involved, you want Taysom involved, but you know, it's it's kind of a it's kind of an art form to to get everyone involved. And so this is what he had to say. No, I, I kind of like I told y'all when I came. You know, we you, we taught you guys t- teach me about the playmakers, and I and I said, look, I'm going to read plays out, and the ball we're going to say, wow, he had a great game. You know, and then the next week we're going to, wow, he, we had a great game. What's wrong with this guy? You know, what's why why can't we do? And I and I. And I just said, like, just the way I play, man, I'm just going to spread them out and, you know, leave it up to the coaches to put guys in position. And hopefully I can read them all right and get it to the guy when they're supposed to get it and all those things. Um, 
but that's that's just me playing quarterback. Like, if you guys want to get mad, you'll go talk to them. But I'm going to read plays out, and I'm going to throw it to where the ball should go. AK could have 12 catches. You know, he, Mike, you could have 10 one time. You could get three in a row. You could, you know, however it plays out, we have to be able to play that way. Um, that way, as quarterback, you can be free in the decisions that you're making. Yeah, and I, and I mean, if this if this can continue, right, if you can keep everyone engaged, if you can keep hitting on all cylinders – this could be a really fun team to watch. And so, you know, I don't know if it will be. They could regress this week and just make us all angry at the Dome again. But, you know, I think, you know, one thing that that bugs me about the modern NFL and something that the Saints don't typically do is, like, you got to give people time to find their way um, in order to to know, right? Like, it's, you know, if you're a rookie quarterback and you have four bad games and suddenly you're benched and you're like, well, that that – that experiment ended quickly. You know, when did people have time to improve in the NFL anymore? I don't know. So, you know, I'd like to think that the improvements we've seen are real and you can continue and we'll kind of learn about that the next couple of weeks because, or the Colts were the Colts really that bad or did the saints kind of figure something out, right? Um, is the saints defense a second half juggernaut and can they figure out how to become better at the beginning of the game? That's something I'd like to see, but you know, we'll find out. It is nice to just go into a week without having to ask these terrible questions of, you know, okay, well, well, if they lose, do you fire this guy? If they lose, do you fire this guy? So we'll see. I, I think the Saints are going to harass Tayson Bajan. I think they're going to harass Josh Dobbs. And I think the Saints are going to go into the bye at six and four. And you're going to look and see, okay, the Saints and Falcons, the final eight games, or no, I'm sorry, the final seven games, I should say. You know, how do they match up? They both have really easy schedules. They face each other twice. Those head-to-head matchups could end up determining the division. So it's going to be fun, and I'm just glad that we get to enjoy it together, right? So thanks, everyone, who listened. Thanks, everyone, who dropped in a comment. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Give us a like. Get Hit the subscribe button on the channel. Ring the bell. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review, as always. My name's at my name, my name is Jeff Noak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Noak. If you have any questions that we didn't get answered, throw hit me up on Twitter. You can also send me an email. It's my name. It's Jeffrey dot Noak at odyssey.com. Shoot me an email. Send me questions. Uh, it, it honestly really helps me format episodes because I sit here and I stare at all this information. I try to go, well, what do I want to talk about? Well, sometimes when we get questions, those are the answers that I want to give the people, the questions that people have. So hit me up and, and let me know what your questions are. And we'll get to, we'll, we'll try to format some episodes around that. And, uh, until the next time, thanks everyone. Who dat? Go saints week nine, baby. Woo.